I'm really excited to um, kind of share this message. In the summer, when I start thinking and I start planning out messages, I, I was thinking about this idea, you're invited, an invitational life. And, and I, as I was looking at different messages and I was thinking about traits of an inviter and, and what does it mean to actually have a winsome witness? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What is it, that whole thing. And, and I couldn't help but thinking, I have to do a message with Shelly. <laughs> Because as our connecting, yeah, you can clap. As our connecting pastor, um, Thank you. you, I thought, they're going to look at me and go, yeah, right. And, but it, from you, you'll, they'll believe it from you. Thank you. Right? Yeah. So I thought we'd do a little quiz to kind of start out this morning. And so, I'm, you know, it's not going to be too difficult. Um, but let me ask you, given a choice, would you rather hang around an angry or a happy person? Raise your hand if you would like and rather hang around a happy person. Please, this is an all-inclusive quiz. No fail here. Okay, Okay, good. I've got one too. All right, so if you were going to buy the exact same product, would you rather buy that product from a pleasant person or a pushy person? If a pleasant person, please raise your hand. Yeah, okay. I get it up there. Okay, another one. Would you rather work with a grumpy, whiny, constantly complaining colleague or <laughs> a cheerful, calm, can-do coworker? I want you to raise your hand if you'd rather work with a grumpy person. Now, see, a few of you started to raise your hand thinking we're doing all the positives. I wanted to keep you, keep you listening. I have another one then. Okay. Would you rather hear exactly the same message taught by a, sh- a person who f- makes you feel shameful and a little bit guilty? Or would you rather hear that same message from someone who delivers it with humor and joy? If humor and joy, please raise both hands. Oh, yeah. Great. Okay, what I'm going to do right now is make you feel shameful and guilty for a few moments, okay? <laughs> so you can really experience what you don't really like. You know what's interesting is throughout history, some of the most effective communicators, those who have changed lives and transformed actual places and, and cities and actually this world were effective communicators, and they had this sense of a what I call a winsomeness about who they were. And, and one of those is, is the person that we've been kind of celebrating here this past Halloween with um, Martin Luther. Because you think of Martin Luther as he stepped on the scene, and he he was called the reformer, or maybe a, a better word in that in that time was called the protester, which is where we get the word Protestant to protest against. What was happening with the church and traditions that were taking place and, and his desire was to get people back to sola scripture, which means the Bible only. If it's in the Bible, let's camp on that to be true. And you would think that he was the kind of reformer, protester, who was, was kind of um, very um, grim in his outlook and, and very angry and kind of was standing with a clenched fist against wrong. Wrong. He wasn't. He was really well-known. As you read some of his biographies, he was transparently uh, sincere. He was pleasantly honest with people, and he was playfully humorous. He actually, um, as you read the scripture, as a Catholic monk, began to realize that it didn't say anything about being celibate to be a monk or a priest. And so at a certain point when he was in that time of reform, he fell in love with a nun. He married this nun, and, and she was in very much his equal, very much a capable person. And so he would often refer to her as Katie, my rib. 
That was his playful name for Katie, my rib, because she wasn't taken from his head or from his feet. She was one who was equal in the same way with him. And, and I shared earlier about the songs that he would do. He, because he was so wanted to get scripture into people's heads, they had been so indoctrinated with tradition, they didn't have the word of God so they could read the word of God. They would go and they would hear these things. He wanted them to have the word of God. He actually would go and take the folk tunes that were played in beer gardens and he'd put the word of God to it and he would have a choir that would meet during the week and they would sing this so that they could get to know it. So when the people came on Sunday, they could sing and get the word of God into people because contemporary music in his time, he knew, just like in our time, you see changes, people go, oh, why all this new stuff? Well, part of it is because where people are at, what they listen to and are moved to, they also have those lyrics then begin to kind of fall into their heart as well. So he was a very fun guy. Another guy who was really fun was a guy named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And he was a preacher in London, and he was the kind of guy who lived in an age where um, a lot of people didn't like him, especially other pastors. Not only was his church growing, and, 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 and was it the place to kind of go to, and they were not only just envious, but they didn't like the fact that he reintroduced humor into Sunday morning messages. Can you imagine that? Because in that day, they would be rather super serious and they would, they would be the kind of people as they would stand up, they would in a sanctimonious way kind of share scripture. And it was just so reverently serious. And, and Spurgeon wasn't that way. And he was criticized one time. And, and as he was being criticized, with a twinkle in his eye, he responded this way. If only you knew how much I hold back, you would commend me. <laughs> This preacher thinks it's less a crime to cause a momentary laughter than a half hour of profound slumber. It's no doubt that people like Luther and, and, and people like Spurgeon, with their winsomeness, drew those who had been browbeaten and those who had been, um, in a sense, cast out and outside, kind of regular people, back into a faith. One other pastor who is a great communicator, kind of of our age, just um, for some, you'll get this name more so than maybe some who are younger, but Chuck Swindoll. Anybody heard of Chuck Swindoll? He writes, if you ask me, I think it is just, I think it is often just as sacred to laugh as it is to pray or preach or witness, but then laughter is a witness in many ways. Pathetic indeed is the stern, somber Christian who has developed the look of an old basset hound through long hours of practice in restraining humor and squelching laughs. Looking stern and severe is nothing new. Its charter members were a scowling band of religious stuff shirts called Pharisees. Jesus' strongest words were directed at them. Their super serious, rigidly rigid lifestyle nauseated our Lord. Isn't that interesting? Because the Pharisees were attracting no one. Crowds were coming around Jesus. In fact, um, artists uh, sometimes portray Jesus as this perpetually somber, kind of depressed person, if you see some of the pictures of him. And really, that's not the way Jesus is presented even in Scripture. Um, I think he was, was not only serious, but he knew how to have fun. And if you read the Gospels, you can just see from time to time, as you read, he kind of has this kind of smile on his face as he tells a story. And the Pharisees are ticked off, and everyone's kind of internally just laughing because Jesus had this great ability I think to do what humor does and that's to laugh at oneself and so this whole idea of the life of Jesus was what as we look at an invitational lifestyle what does it mean he he 
he lived a very winsomely invitational life and crowds followed him. The followers of Jesus lived a very winsomely invitational life and they transformed by attracting the culture around them and actually changed their culture. And what I want us to ask this morning is, think about yourself for a second. What does it mean for you to live a winsomely invitational life? And I was going to ask Shelly if she would kind of just share with us, from your perspective, some of those characteristics that would be helpful for people to understand. Thank you, Kevin. I love that, that Jesus lived a winsomely invitational life. And then I love that the early church was winsomely invitational. And we know that because in Acts chapter 2, we read that the Lord was adding to their number day by day by day. The church was growing exponentially. And that wasn't just an attendance report in Acts. That was saying something is going on there. They were winsomely invitational. And I believe that the Bible teaches that the Lord draws us to him. That he does the work and only he can save us. And I can't argue or bully or wheedle or will or cajole someone into heaven. And neither can you because it's God's work. But the Bible also says that we have a commission and a privilege to invite others to step into relationship with Jesus. To get close enough, I think of it like this, to share some air. I like to get close enough to somebody to share some air. So I like to get in your space. Share some space, share some time, share some love in order, I hope, to have the opportunity to share some Jesus with you. And I hope that's the way you look at a winsomely invitational life. So I'm going to ask you if you'll take the Bibles and the seat pockets in front of you if you like, or on your phone, or on your app. Because the Bible can be opened from your app if you've downloaded that. And we're going to be in John chapter 1 for a few minutes. In John chapter 1, we were introduced to the Word, who is Jesus. And then we were introduced, we are introduced to John the Baptist. I don't know that I would have said he was winsomely invitational, but he was drawing crowds. And here's the thing about John the Baptist. They came out to see him because he was... Interesting. He was interesting. And in John chapter 1, verse 29, after asking John these questions, the, 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 the leader said, are you the Christ? Are you the Christ? He said, no. No, I'm not he. Are you Elijah? Are you one of the prophets? No. No, I'm not him. John said, someone is coming after me, and I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. And then twice, if you read in John 1, John says, I didn't know, I didn't recognize him. I didn't know who this was going to be. But the one who commissioned me, the God who commissioned me to pave the way for the Christ who was to come said, when you see the spirit of the Lord descending in the form of a dove and landing on him, that's the one. And so if you read with me in John chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming to him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he on who, of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I. He existed before me, and I did not recognize him. But in order that he might be shown or manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John bore witness, saying, I've beheld the Spirit descending as a dove coming out of heaven, 
And the spirit descending in the form of the dove remained upon him. I didn't recognize him at first, but God said to me, this is the one. And now verse 34, and I have seen and borne witness that this is the son of God. And then it says, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And from the passage, we know that one of those disciples was named Andrew. So John, is he has his own disciples. He's got his own following. He's standing with them. Andrew is one of those two disciples. Verse 35, John's standing with them. And he, verse 36, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak. Remember, one was Andrew. And they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned to them and he said, What do you seek? What are you looking for? And I, I'm just sure, I, this would be me. If, Jesus, if I was following Jesus and he turned around and he said, what are you looking for? I think I'd kind of stumble around a little bit and I kind of think that's what they did. And they said, well, where are you staying? That's a funny question to ask Jesus. Can you think of anything else you would have maybe asked him first? Where are you staying? So Jesus says, come and see. And they did, they followed him. And they stayed with him that day and they learned about him. And then here's what's so cool. Andrew, who had followed Jesus, stayed with him for a period of time. It says right here in verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah. We have found the Christ. And Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. So paraphrase what you just heard. John tells Andrew and this other disciple, there's there's the Lamb of God. There's the Christ. There's the one we've been waiting for. Jesus says, come and see. Andrew gets excited because he gets to know Jesus a little bit. So Andrew runs to Peter. Well, Simon, before Jesus renames him. And Andrew says, you got to see this. Come and see. And so Peter comes and Jesus renames Simon to Peter. And that's what we know about him. And then Jesus invites Philip to come and see in this passage. And I'm not going to read all of it to you. He invites Philip to come and see. And Philip gets so excited about Jesus that he turns and invites Nathaniel. And I think we've got this on the screen for you. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And listen how receptive, listen how receptive Nathaniel is. Nathaniel says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip says, what does he say? Come and see. Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming, and Jesus had a conversation with Nathanael. So I'm asking you, what phrase did you hear repeated in those verses I read to you? Come and see. Come and see. Jesus said it. John said it. John pointed. Go, go and see him. Andrew said it. Peter, you've got to come and see. Philip said it. Nathanael, you've got to come and see. That's an invitational lifestyle. Flip over in your Bible to John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, we see a woman at a well in Samaria. Not usually the place that a famous rabbi like Jesus would travel. And yet he does. Because in his mind, he knows he has an appointment with a woman at a well. And the long story is usually the part we tell about how she comes, she wants to get water, 
Jesus asked her for a drink. She can't, she can't believe that a man asked her for a drink. She can't believe that a Jew asked a Samaritan for a drink, and he changes her life. And here's the part I want you to see, because sometimes I've skipped over this. Jesus says to her, because she says, I know I'm kind of confused about all the details. I'm paraphrasing here, clearly. I'm kind of confused about all the details, but I think when the Messiah comes, he'll clarify all this for us. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. And she leaves the water pot, which is the whole reason she came to the well in the first place. Verse 28 of chapter 4, she runs back to the city. She says to the men, and don't miss that that's kind of significant too, because she wasn't someone who was really involved in a circle of people. She says to the men, what does she say there? Do you see it in verse 29? Come and see a man who told me all the things that I've done. This is not the Christ. This is not the Messiah, is it? She was invitational to the men of the city. And if you finish the story, it says that she invited the men to come out. The men and the women and many more believed Jesus. Verse 42, or verse 40 says this. When the Samaritans came to him, they were asking him to stay. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. We've heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. We love what you said, they told her, but it's not just because of what you said anymore. We came and saw for ourselves and we believed. She invited, they came, which is remarkable under the circumstances and in the context of the story. They saw for themselves and they believed. So there are some things that we can learn from these stories as brief as they are from John chapter 1 and John chapter 4. What does the phrase come and see say to you? I want you to think about this. What if John the Baptist or Andrew or Philip or the woman at the well had said, you should go and see? Is that different than come and see? Think about it for a second. We even use different gestures. You should go. You you should go. It'd be good. You need it, right? <laughs> you should go. It's a whole different ball game when we say, come and see. So here are a couple of things that I see about being an inviter. One of them is that we should stay curious ourselves as inviters. Stay curious that seems like an odd thing. Maybe you're thinking, that's, that's odd. Stay curious. But I think implicit in the phrase, come and see, was the idea that Andrew and Philip and the woman at the well still wanted to know more about Jesus. Like they hadn't had enough. They stayed curious. It's an inviting word when you say come. It's a with word. It's a relationship word. It's a word that we usually say pretty nicely. Come with me. It says, I value your presence. It says, I'm going to, and I would really like for you to join me in this journey. I'm still curious. There's more that I want to see or learn or understand. And it says this too. I haven't arrived yet. I still need to go back. 
See, some people don't want us to say, you should go, because it implies, I don't need to go anymore because I've arrived. Come and see says, come and join me. I haven't arrived yet. I've got more to learn. I, I want to go back. And there's something catchy when an inviter stays curious himself or herself. We, we want the person we invite to be curious. We'd like to create a little curiosity. But there's something very catchy, very contagious when the inviter himself or herself yeah. stays curious. I was thinking, shall, can I, I'm going yeah, 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 yeah. to interrupt you every once just because I have to. I know. It's you know, I can't just. I think of like children. Right? Kids are just curious. Mm-hmm. Why? Jesus said, become like a little kid. What does it mean to become like a little kid? The reason they're little kids is because they know they don't know everything. And it's really interesting how easy it is for us to kind of move to a place where we think we know and we think we've seen it all, and then we lose a sense of curiosity. And when you lose a sense of curiosity, think about it, you lose a sense of humility. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then you get into... I know, but you should. Mm-hmm. One, of, one of the things that, that God has been teaching me, and, and part of it came through a long weekend of a, uh, a therapy uh, sessions that Grace and I did in Arizona. We had the opportunity to go, and, and you know, I could tell you the whole thing, but I want to tell you, we, we were there um, learning communication skills and things like that. It was incredible. And one of the things the person had told us was this. Listen with curiosity. When you're there, take a humble place and listen with curiosity. Now that was kind of new to me because I was kind of more into, you know, there's my wife. You should do this and should do, you know, that kind of thing. Anybody ever kind of kind of like if that person would just change? You like that at work too? You know, if that person would just change, can I tell you something? That when you move to a place of humility and you begin to change yourself, your change forces change around you. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't happen unless you take this curious, humble place. And one of the things you see in the invitational lifestyle, there is this kind of like, like kids. Kids kind of go, come on, let's do this. And I just want to encourage us as a church is we have this opportunity to continue to stay curious in relationship to God but with other people and just say, hey, join me in a, in a study. I'm learning more about Jesus. Mm-hmm. I'd love to learn how you understand some of this stuff. Join me at some point and come to this. Just come and be a part. Whatever that step would be, think about what that looks like. Because that's what curiosity, I think, does. It keeps us in that humble place where we say, I'm, I'm a learner like you. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes curiosity may not even be enough. Our own curiosity may not generate someone's interest to come with us. So there's a second stay that we have for you today, and it's stay credible. Stay credible. Because as Kevin said, when John the Baptist, for example, invited um, his followers, his followers to come and see Jesus, It took incredible humility, and that made him credible. Imagine saying, oh, oh, don't follow me anymore, follow him. His humility made him credible, and they did follow Jesus. When Andrew ran first, not later, but first to find his brother, I think his love made him credible. If your brother comes to you and says, you gotta 
you got to see this. you got to come with me and see. His love made him credible. When Philip approached Nathaniel, Nathaniel, clearly from the context, he's a right living, he's a, he's a scripturally grounded Israelite, it really matters to him. And Philip comes to him with the words that spoke, the language, if you will, of Nathaniel. He said, Moses and the prophets, this is who, this is who they're talking about. I think that Philip's understanding and his wisdom and his ability to get in the head and speak the language of Nathaniel made him credible. I think that when the woman at the well went to the men of the city and said, come and see, this man told me everything I've ever done. This is a tricky one. I think her vulnerability Mm -hmm. made her credible. And we don't, I don't like vulnerability. But it made her credible because don't you know that they thought, really? And you want us to come and see? But it made her credible because she was willing to just put it out there. She was vulnerable and it made them incredibly curious. There is something compelling. There is something catchy. There is something contagious about credibility of humility and love and wisdom. Speaking the language and being vulnerable, it creates curiosity. There's a third stay. Stay curious, stay credible, stay compelled. Stay compelled. When John and Andrew and Philip and the woman and, and the woman at the well came to Jesus and their eyes were open to really see who he was, all they could do was invite somebody else to come and see. The way I like to think of it, it's not grammatically correct. They couldn't not share Jesus. So you hear those double negatives? They couldn't not. I wonder if I'm like that. If I could say about myself, I can't not share Jesus. We need to stay compelled. Preaching the good news, the apostles Paul said, is not something I boast about. I'm compelled by God to do it. I can't not share this good news. Staying compelled means living with the realization of who we know that he, he is so good that we can't not share him with others. We're not forcing him on, on, on anybody. But if you hang around us, you're going to hear about Jesus because he's miraculously changed our lives. Are we going to know all the answers? No. Are we going to argue about stuff? No. We're going to stay compelled whether we can explain everything or not because we know he's changed us and we desire to see that change in someone else's life. There's one more thing. Fourth, stay contagious. Stay contagious. There's something catchy about a compelling message that's presented in a winsome way. We use that word, a winsome way. It doesn't mean you win some and you lose some. I would just like to clarify that. It does not. It's a winsome way. It's a pleasant maybe even an attractive way of sharing, a way of delight. It's a fresh and honest way of sharing. It's contagious because it's winsome. I like what Chuck Swindoll says. I think it's really good. Here are his words, because I can't say it any better than this. He says, it is a, excuse me, it's a useful, appealing, ultra-magnetic quality, a charisma, the ability to cause joy and genuine pleasure in the thick of it all, When a teacher has it, students line up for the course. When a dentist or physician has it, the practice stays full. 
When a salesman has it, he gets writer's cramp filling out the orders. When an usher has it, or a greeter, or the welcome desk, our church is considered friendly. When a coach has it, the team shows it, and when parents have it, the kids grow it. That's awesome. That's winsomeness. He he goes on to say, and I won't read all of it, that winsomeness motivates, I think we have this on the screen, winsomeness motivates, it simplifies, and it encourages. It motivates, it simplifies, and it encourages. You know, when you, as we were kind of working through this, and I was thinking about this specifically, I was thinking, when you smile, um, when you stay positive and you radiate a sense of joy in really difficult situations, that causes curiosity and people are somewhat compelled ca- to kind of know what's going on. And as a pastor, I have had throughout my years of ministry opportunities to go in and visit with people in hospitals in some really just some of the worst situations um, where, where their life is we, we know it's just going to be a few weeks or they're in that point of I don't know what's going to happen. And what's amazing to me, there's just times, um, I remember uh, even a guy like Paul Bergeron. Some of you remember Paul? I, I would go in thinking I'm going to encourage him and I'd come out of there going, wow, this is, he's so encouraging. You ever had those experiences where you just kind of, you think, well, I got to go in, I got to really help this person out. And you walk out of there and you go, not only have they encouraged me, but everybody there is encouraged mm-hmm. and has been moved by that person's response. And, and I, that's not talking about, you know, we have, I mean, all of us struggle and you go through the pain and, and part of that winsomeness is, is being vulnerable and honest with what you're going. It's not forcing and faking or things such as that. But there is something about the reality that when you know Jesus and, and you know what your future is, and you really have an understanding of that deep love. It is so grounding. Um, there are just a lot of people who don't have that understanding. And so part of what we're called to do is to, is to live this life in, in an invitational way that other people um, really can track with that and understand that. Did you want to share anything else more about that? or? Nope. We've got good... some practical tips, right? Okay, let's do some practical tips. Some things that um, Shelly would say, you know what, why don't we kind of, when we were talking about this, she goes, win some is kind of an interesting word. It's you win some. I was thinking, wow, yeah, that's that's interesting. So yeah, so I thought let's let's talk about some practical ways. How can you and how can we do this together? And the first thing I thought about is just it's really simple. It's something that I want to grow in. It, it's something that I think can change people instantly. Win some by smiling. Try it for a second. I want you all to just smile and turn to someone. Okay, just just do it. Okay. Smile at someone. Nice. That feel good. Nice. It didn't cost you anything no, to do no. that, right? It's the greatest gift you can give someone. It is the starting point, I think, of what I would call a winsomely invitational life. Is just the ability to smile. In fact, when you get up in the morning, one of the things you want to do is you stand up, put on kind of you're going to try to put on what's most attractive, what's going to look good. Put on a smile. That is your best dress. <laughs> okay. And, and, and I was kind of thinking through this, and I, I, I read this quote that was really cool. Because here's Mother Teresa, who worked in the very slums of Calcutta, and she at times would be before some of the most destitute people, and she could do nothing for them. She felt just helpless. There's just nothing she could do. And she would merely, she said, give them the gift of the smile, and she would tell her people that she worked with them. She would say this, every time you smile at someone, 
It is an action of love, a gift to that person, a beautiful thing. She was also known for saying, peace begins with the smile. So win some by smiling, no matter what culture you're in. Think about it. No matter what language barrier there is, no matter what the situation is, the universal language of kindness is a smile that can open doors. It's the key that unlocks every person's heart. Think about it. It is that key that no matter what culture you're in, no matter where you're at, it has the ability to go right to the heart. Now, I just had a few pictures. I don't know if we were able to show those. <laughs> when all else fails, smile. You can go ahead and show some of these, these pictures. Um, you know, I just looked at some of these and I thought, wow, it, there's just fun when you look around. Every culture has just this, there's something engaging. The invitational life begins with a smile. Frowning people repel. (laughs) Did you know that smiling makes you more approachable? There was a study done at the University of Penn State, at Penn State University, where they said smiling employees came across as more likable and friendly, and customers left the interactions feeling more satisfied about their overall experience. I went somewhere last night and had the opportunity to walk in at every stage at this event that I was at. There were people who greeted you with a smile, and you couldn't help but feel good. So you win some by smiling. Doesn't cost anything. You win some by seeing them. And I think sometimes it costs us a little something, but still it's a low cost. Every day I go to holiday near me, and I get a Diet Coke, don't judge me. And I keep going back because everybody there knows your name. Like we're all regulars. We chat. Jake and I talk about grandkids in the Broncos, except for this year. (laughs) They know my name. It wasn't because I was winsome. I would just like to say that they saw me and they ask a question. And because of that and because of my repeated going there, we've developed a relationship because they see me. They know when I'm coming. What would happen if we practice winsome by truly seeing them, by really noticing, by thanking, by um, congratulating? Uh, My friend Grace says one of the basic, most basic forms of love is respect. What if we start to see people, the people who serve us, the people who work next to us, the people who park next to us, the people who give us Diet Coke, sometimes for free, I'm just saying. I don't know. I don't know about that. What if we start to see them and we give them respect and we give them that first level of love? I I know if I'm going to a staff retreat and Shelly is one of the persons in our staff in my car, we're always going to be stopping at a McDonald's for a Diet Coke. So I respect you and I do that, right? Holiday works too. Holiday works, okay. You know, the other thing is win some by saying. Uh, It is this idea of encouragement of your words. Our words are so powerful. So this idea that we smile, we see, and then this idea of in the morning, try this on yourself. When you get up in the morning, try and encourage yourself. Get up and just say, God... Thank you for loving me. Thank you for this new day. And then do something that will be radical. As you start each day, the person that you see first, turn to them and give them some positive, encouraging words. 
turn to them and, 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 and share with them. And, and then as you go through work, begin to start looking for those things in others that you can. We, we need to do this, I think, in our day and age more than ever. It is so easy with our culture where it is right now to turn everything negative. And I just encourage you to, to kind of spot strengths and, and say them out loud and, 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 and decline to camp on another person's weakness. Um, really try to do that. And one last thing. Why don't you go ahead? One last share. thing. Win some by giving or serving. It's amazing how that changes things. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. And you know what stands out in our culture? In this self-centered, me-focused culture that we have, selfless serving, extravagant love, generous giving. It, it all points to Jesus because we're not that way ourselves. It points to him. And I, I think we ask God to show us when and where and how and who so that we're be, we are wise with what we give. But we can win some by giving and by serving. Yeah. I'm going to ask you to stand because there's um, a kind of like a, there's a commission that happens in scripture and some of you know scripture really well, some of you may not, but at one point Jesus gathers his disciples together and he says to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So he says, before you go and you do anything, I want you to know if you are kind of putting yourself under my authority, you're under the authority of all heaven and earth. And then he says, I want you to go. Now, we make this really complicated. Mm -hmm. It really isn't. He says, I want you to go. I want you to go ahead and smile and see. And I want you to say something positive. And I want you to go out and serve others. And if you go out and do that, I want you to do this with a sense of curiosity um, where your life is credible and compelling and, and, and it can be contagious because as you go out humble as a learner, all God is asking each of us to do is to say, come and see, learn with me, explore with me. The world wants to make it this big fight. It doesn't need to be. So I'm going to ask you with your head bowed, I'm going to ask the team to come forward. We're going to just close with this song, but just bow your head for a moment and just say, Lord, in your heart, I'll pray this and as you just kind of think about it. Lord, is there, is there some place where um, you're speaking to me in this? Is, is I, as I go and take this commission this week, is there a, a face that flashes up, a name that comes into my mind? What does it mean for me to smile? What does it mean to slow down enough to see? What does it mean for me to, instead of going to the negatives, to say what is positive? What does it mean for me to serve, whether that person even knows I served them or not? God, we want to live these kind of lives that say you're invited come and see so God we pray that you would help us to do whatever it takes to serve this West Metro in the name of Jesus Christ thank you Lord we praise you in Christ's name Amen As you guys sing, one last thing, the usher's going to come. We take on a communion Sunday morning an offering for those in need. And so if you would like to participate in that, please um, just go ahead and uh, share what you have. Thanks.